0: Welcome to this latest edition of The Real Deal Podcast, The Wire Remixed, Season 2, Episode 6, All Prologue. Uh, I'm your host, Surreal Gerald Quinn. And as always, uh, we are. I'm joined by one Robert Sapp to discuss this highly, I mean highly anticipated show, Episode, All Prologue. How you doing, Mr. Sapp?
1: Doing well, doing well. Hello. Excited to be talking about The Wire.
0: and looking real, been definitely looking forward to this episode um, for a while. For a while now, um, this was a signature episode in the series. This was an episode that um, was a, uh, to me, was uh, one of the top, I would say one of the top 10 episodes of the series that the series has ever had um even vulture liked this episode vulture had this episode ranked 14th all time yeah which which if you've been if have you if you've been following this program or this podcast you know that that is uh very high praise considering where vulture has had some of these uh has had most of these season 2 episodes uh ranked uh it was directed by Steve Schill, um you have uh, the epigraph. It don't matter if some fool say he's different. That was by one D'Angelo Barksdale. Um, prologue. You want know what prologue is? Prologue is an event or action that leads to another event or situation. Also used to give us information that advances the plot. I, I mean, you can't fit. I, I can't even explain it. It can't be defined any better. That's exactly, those two things is exactly what this episode did. Um, I will get into the theme. To me, the theme of this episode is freedom. I will get into that later on um, when we're concluding the program, when we're concluding the podcast. But to me, freedom is the clear theme that defined this episode that was uh, controlled by D'Angelo Omar and also one Jimmy McNulty. Um, opening scene. Omar is uh attending, is in is about to be uh going to the courtroom. He's inside this little room that he's waiting to be called for waiting for the bailiff bailiff to come get him. He's talking to a court officer. Uh the court officer is, has gotten stuck by a crossword puzzle and can't figure out the answer to it. So Omar, being the you know, helpful one that he is, the Robin Hood that he is. Uh, gets the, gives the uh, court officer the answer that uh, it was a Greek, Ares was the was the Greek guy. So he helps. so we get a little another layer of one. Omar Devon Little uh, the bailiff comes and comes and gets Omar. Omar enters the court for the bird case, and you have um, Eileen Nathan is asking Omar questions about his occupation, about what he does. So he tells her just flat out, Omar just says flat out, I robs drug drug dealers. And she basically says, you know, how does someone who with that type of occupation stay alive and do it as long as you have done it? And this is the exact quote from Omar. Date, not date, day at a time, I suppose. And that would, again, uh, you know, a a vintage Omar answer. And then that is the opening scene uh, before we head into our credits, great opening scene what were your thoughts on 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 that uh on that
1: exchange yeah um uh this is this is uh so um a thing for me in this episode is uh intelligence or okay. sneaky intelligence maybe um and so uh this is uh showing us a different side of Omar um that, uh, or just, or, what? like, yeah, I'll go thinking intelligence, but then I also was thinking about, like, just, just being human, um, and so you get, you get, like, these snapshots, um, which we'll get for other characters later on in the episode, or as the episode goes on, but this is a great snapshot of Omar before, um, he was just robbing drug dealers and out on the street. Um giving you a little bit of insight on, um, the, give you a little bit of insight on his interest and also, um, the, his, his level of intelligence.
0: Yeah, no question. You know, no question about it. It's, you know, add to the depth, another layer of, um, of his character. And again, and, and also, which would be a recurring theme when, you know, when he's been, this is, you know, of course, this is a setup. Um, it'd be a recurring theme of his, um, just, just open his honesty, you know, his honesty, you know, you know, he's completely honest uh, in that scene, uh, in that scene as well. Um, We move to the detail. So the detail is discussing the Sabaka case and you have, you know, you have Daniels, you know, Daniels, Freeman, Kima, um, you know, Russell, Prez. So, uh, they uh, with Herc and also Herc and Carver. So they're talking about they're discussing the case, and they figure out that um, they figure out that the union is hurt, and the, the union is hurting for money. Uh, that they only had only a hundred checkers. Uh, you heard um, you heard Russell mention that it was like three hundred in the seventies, and of course you're wondering where are, And then they bring up, and this is through you know they, they bring up, and this is through police work. That they have paid off, not paid off, but given donated seventy thousand dollars to political connections, and of course, you have you know the question where where in the world are they getting all this money from? And it's uh, B.D. Russell who says, well, maybe, maybe it's through uh you know through uh you know through movement of, of cans on the ship. Um, so they, you know this is of course a setup for uh for scenes to come. Over the course of the episode, but you can tell that they've been, you know, they've had to, they've been forced to dig deeper in terms of, of, of trying to find out what's going on with the checkers, and it it gave it gives you it, it tips you off to also to the fact that Russell is starting to morph into a uh, detective. One thing I didn't notice that about this scene, the first the first, the many times that I watched it, I noticed now is how Herc was uh, checking out uh, Russell, like the entire scene. And I, that's one I, that I did not notice that many times while I watched this. He's, he's checking out the, uh, basically the entire scene and then he goes, at the, end of, at the end of the scene, he goes up to her and tries to ask her out. Um, says, I wanna go out for a cup of coffee. She puts a coffee cup in his face, basically say, you know, get out of my face. Um, he introduces himself as Thomas and tries to sound, you know, somewhat like a human being. Compared to, way, uh, compared to how he normally dogs, and uh, he, of course he gets made mocked by uh, Carver, who, who messes, with, messes with him at the end of the scene. But mainly, the main thing to come out of the scene is the fact that they recognize that the um, they recognize that these guys are dirty, considering how much money that they're that they're tossing around to the or political connections. What were your thoughts on this scene?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the 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 Herc scene was that was nice comedic relief, but but it's all about. Like they' like we talked about last week they'll hide big things behind comedy and uh, they'll hide they're, they're hiding big things um behind uh like scenes where it, it feels like and like you're you're like you're what you're talking about the political connections is the big piece of it um, and uh th- like' we're, we're going to start to see the depth of the investigation and also the depth of what Frank Sabaka has done.
0: Omar, Bird, Nathan, Levy, McNulty, and Stringer all—all all are all in the courtroom. Omar, Omar um, is, is being, um, you have McNulty conversating in the back with Stringer. Stringer basically says, word on the street is, Omar was nowhere near, uh, was nowhere near Gant, um, Bird, nowhere near when Gant got shot that he wasn't that he wasn't uh that he didn't witness it witness that at all he was nowhere close to it as far his proximity um McNulty says well we're not we're not on the street we're in a courtroom we're in a court of law um omar identifies bird and also identifies bird and his gun um and this is just the you know this is the beginning not the beginning but this is really when they start digging into uh this testimony uh, again. This is a. There were a few of these court scenes. This is a setup. This was the uh, setup for another for a further court scene in this episode. But this, but now he's identified the gun. He's also identified Bird, and of course we all know that he's is absolutely lying through his teeth. But uh, and even despite the fact, despite that fact that he's he's still convincing in terms of with the, with the, with the initial testimony of identifying bird as the shooter of uh, William Gann and that's the fact that he saw him kill William Gann uh what were your thoughts on these on this beginning this beginning testimony with uh him identifying bird and also the big springer exchange
1: this is a setup for later scene um in in terms of like there's there's a specific uh there's a specific layout for how they want the Omar scene to go over. And it, it it it's it hits with an exclamation point, and then um and then it will it will go into kind of like its its uh its finality. But so this is the setup scene for that. Um what I find equally as interesting as Omar is not telling the truth is that the lawyer and the police know he's not telling the truth in it. Um, And so it's also a statement on the legal system, right? Like it's a statement on how things play out, right? Like, and so Omar, like I said, I'll link it much better once we get to that punctuation that Omar says, because it goes back to this, but this is the beginning of the set out. And so if you look at it as how um, a lawyer might lay out a legal argument, Omar is going to lay out an argument.
0: No question about it. Uh, you have Nick Spiros and a new character that we get into Eton who works with, who is working with uh, Spiros some more. I, I don't I, I don't think he's muscle. I think he's more of a, um, uh, he, he's more of a, he's a connect. He's not, he's, Sergei is the muscle, but Eton is a new character that's working with Spiros. We get introduced with him introduced to him, they, um, they're discussing the the chemicals, uh, with, with Nick, with Nick Sabaka. It also, Nick also brings up, you know, he tells him he can get the chemicals, of course, but he also brings up Ziggy's issues with cheese. Um, He asked for their help. And the thing that I think stood out about this scene is Sabaka, not Sabaka, Spiro says, Hey, you know, you want me to kill this dude? Nick says no because that would come back on um, me, probably in the future, or that would come back on Ziggy. Excuse me, Ziggy later on, where they would go for revenge and probably and and kill Ziggy. Says no, go about it another way. Spiros respects Nick's intelligence. Getting back to your, you know, what you said, the intelligence theme. um, He respects. He respects uh, what Nick said. How Nick wanted to handle uh, the situ uh, the situation. So. Uh, he agrees. Uh, agrees to help out Nick uh, with with the cheese. With with cheese, and of course, you know, cheese uh, burnt up the car, and is asking for fifty four hundred dollars instead of the uh, instead of the twenty seven hundred dollars that the car it was actually worth. Um, what are
1: your thoughts on this scene? This uh, this is a setup scene. I can connect it once we get to the later scene.
0: You have Levy, Omar, and Phelan. Levy, uh, of course, is the barstool lawyer. Cross-examines Omar. Um, he asks Omar a number of questions um, in terms of you know what he does, um, and he basically tries to come at Omar by saying that you you know you're a parasite. You um, you are you are out there you know you're ripping off drug dealers. Uh, you're ripping off drug dealers, and you know you're contributing to poorly on society. And Omar flips it on him and says, "Just like you." And this throws Levy off. This throws Levy off guard. He says, "Just like you." And then he says, "You got the briefcase. I got the gun. You got the briefcase. Um, and then you got the briefcase. All in the game." So he does that, and even before that he checked Levy about um the fact that he says, "I've never put my gun on anybody that wasn't outside the game that wasn't that on was anybody outside the game." So he checks Levy on that, and then he says makes makes that statement so levy says, "So you're the moral and then then they, then he go goes into the um the par- call him a parasite, and then you know Omar says, "I got the gun, you got the briefcase on the game." And at that point the courtroom was completely in and seemingly in the old everything was in Omar's favor. Even the judge Phelan had a look on his face and at Levy, like, well, he's right. That's it. That was the look that Phelan had on his face at the end of at the uh, end of that particular scene. Um, this scene is one of the signature scenes in the history of the show. I if you said to me that this is the greatest scene in the wire history, I would have I I wouldn't have much. It's, it's definitely in the conversation. It's definitely a top five, top three scene um, in the history of the show, without question. Um, I have plenty to say on it. Go. What were your thoughts?
1: Yeah, this is the punctuation I was talking about. Um, uh, and so the 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 argument is laid out, and um, and this this is this is Omar's kind of. Uh, the, Final point but even more importantly this is the creator's point of of the show uh omar omar's, omar's the, the avatar all the characters are avatar for what the creators are thinking about this and so like so like now you put all the scenes together with omar up until this point and one you got him in the very beginning showing how um how intelligent he is but because he does what he does he's completely underestimated and being um, going to be underestimated in the, in the court. This is somebody that Levy would normally eat alive. Um and so um you got that you got that part and then you got the second part which is what I was talking about when um when uh uh, uh Omar oh no, no I mean I'm connecting both both scenes when Omar was um uh uh he's he's sm- let me connect it back. He's smarter than Levy will ever give him credit for. And this is where he, this is where he outflanks him and outshines him in this. Um, to your point, this is uh, one of the most powerful memorable scenes in the entire show, period. Um, uh, you always remember this scene. The words always echo out. Um, and uh, essentially, the argument that the creators are trying to say is that there is no difference. Right, like the like. That's why. Oh, the legal system. That's why I was trying to say that was a turn on the legal system when, um, oh, when they're talking about Omar, um, uh, uh when when Omar know, they know Omar is lying in in his testimony, but they're gonna use it anyway because they need to get the conviction. This is all part of the game. This is all part of the system. The drug game, the the legal system, the cops. Every like all of this is its own organism and they each need each other to continue moving. Um, and so, uh, and so like, like, of course the statement, you got the gun, um, I got the gun, you got the briefcase is specifically about how, um, Levy is a drug dealer's lawyer. That's his trade. Um, and that he preys on, um, the, the, he preys on humanity just as the drug dealers prey on humanity, just as Omar preys on the drug dealers. There is essentially no difference. The only difference is society deems one acceptable and the other not acceptable until it gets to this point in the trial system where the acceptable side, the law, needs a conviction on this particular defendant, and then all the lines are blurred. And now, someone who is completely unacceptable by society becomes completely acceptable to make sure that the legal system gets the person that they're after. It's the point that I made over and over and over again. Um, It's the point that The Wire is making over and over again. There is no difference. There is no difference. There's no good guys. There are no bad guys. This is a product of a very, very broken system, which is being reflected in this country today.
0: No I'm question, Bobby. things about this. Uh, number one, I, I look at this scene, I thought about for uh, whatever reason, um, and, you know, I thought about 8 Mile, and uh, I thought about B-Rabbit Papa Doc, when he strips Papa Doc at the end of the movie of just... It emasculates Papa Doc with basically calling him out for what he is, actually is, when Papa Doc is trying to hide what he is in terms of being this gangster rapper. And then he, like, he basically, says, basically says, you know, you, 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 got, you came from good parents and you go to a private school, you're not, you're not this. And then he, before he even gets to that point, he says, you know, he tells, he tells all of his business. So no longer, so he just though so no longer. It doesn't matter what Papa doc even says about him at, after that. He's already he's already he's living his truth. Um, Omar is is always living his truth. He doesn't care about what you think about him. He doesn't care about you. What you about what you think about his sexuality. He doesn't. He does. He is. He is completely free. Even from an institutional standpoint, he's completely free. And he. What Levy didn't realize is, and this is, this applies to Omar even when he's on the street, he was actually – he was actually um, – had Levy figured out before Levy, before Levy could even – before his head – before Levy could even, you know, before the questions were even done, he had Levy always figured out. And you see Omar on the street. Omar is always scoping the next deal or he's scoping the next target before they even know it. So I think that that's, that was to me the brilliant thing about this scene. How the, one, two of the brilliant things about about this scene that, like you to your point, you never see Omar. You rarely ever see Omar coming, and he's you know he's you know he's casing you before you before you ever even know that he's that he's there. Um, so again, it was just a classic classic scene that I I had to watch. I watched the scene at least four or five times because it was just a brilliant brilliant. Um, uh, scene to uh, to watch, um, and failing lastly, I didn't have one last name. Failing, you talk talk about failing's face. Not only is that like, yeah, he's right, but that's also like, yeah, I mean, failing right, telling Levy like, yeah, I know you, I know you're, a, I know you're a cricket lawyer. So failing, yeah, I think failing, I think failing's face uh, exemplified that as well.
1: Yes, and then I'm gonna add on to that. Everybody knows he's a cricket lawyer. Yes. It's part of it's part of the game, it's part of the system. It's yes. part of the game, it's part of the system. Everybody know like it's accepted. It's an acceptable part of what is going on. No question. And so yes. Omar's point is why am I not why am I this and you're that? What's the difference between us?
0: Absolutely. Um McNulty and uh, Elena McNulty. Uh, she's in. She's in her place of business, about to with some home buyers, trying to close down a deal. While you have McNulty playing with undressing mac mannequin, messing around, playing around while she's, you know, while she's there, the customers can't see her. Can't see McNulty, of course. They have their backs turned. Um, they have their backs turned, and she's, you know, gets somewhat distracted. But then, uh, as they as they leave, McNulty. Asked her out for dinner and a movie. She reluctantly ex- accepts, but makes it clear, makes it clear that this is not going anywhere. I, I want to emphasize that point. She made it made it clear that this is not going anywhere. Um, she makes him pay for the sitter, and 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 we'll you know we'll see how this. And again, this is a payoff. This is a setup for a, a later uh, scene with them, but. Um, she again, she emphasizes the fact that you know, he has it, he has it fixated in his mind that they're getting back together. She was defiant and saying that, that this is not going to happen. Uh, what are your thoughts?
1: The, uh, this shows how, how uh, McNulty is as self-involved as he can possibly be. I mean, like it's, it's a continuation of all the things that we talked about with, with McNulty. Um, He's not acknowledging her reality, Um, and so uh, she's making it very clear, as you said, what the reality is. He's not acknowledging any reality at
0: this point in time right now. No, not at all. Um, Stringer and a DC contact. Stringer, of course, pays this guy. He's paying this guy to to kill D'Angelo um he lets him know that he cannot use any of his people it cannot that it can't be traced can't use any of stringers people to do this because of course with the barksdale connection and the dc contact this guy who's going to facilitate you know facilitate the murder um you know you know gets you know gets the, gets the money uh talk to stringer about you know going to a dc club going to a club in oxon hill um but again this is uh he says and he says that he has a has a cousin in the same prison as the Angelo that um, that does good work um that you know that does good work so we you know this is of course a setup for a a major scene that will take place um that will take place later on in the uh episode and and so at this point stringer has clearly made up his mind that this is the move that has to be made. We'll talk more, certainly we'll talk more about this later on in the episode. What are your thoughts?
1: This is the first clear indicator that uh, Stringer is fully in charge. And I'll leave it at that because we have to get get to the scene and then we can really, really get into it.
0: Yes. Charnine um, and Charneen um, and Kima. So Chardine, uh, Kima, and Perez have been assigned earlier in the episode to detail. As uh, Daniels had broke off some assignments in terms of what direction that they wanted the case to go into, but Kima and Perez have been assigned to look at some look at the girls uh, that have been coming in uh, to Baltimore, so that were stripping that you know that were working at the strip clubs. So immediately, Chardine, Kima goes to Chardine. We we know Chardine who has a ward name out there on on this program. This is her first appearance since season one. She's you know, doing well. She's in nursing school, living with of course, Lester Freeman, but she also is still connected, not connected, but she still, she has contacts still within the world of, of stripping. And, 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 those, and, and she still has some people's there. She's asking her, He was asking her about the Russian girls that are in the, um, in, in the local strip clubs that, that have, been, have been transported. Um, and agrees, she agrees to help Kima, She agrees to help Kima, of course, this will be a this will be a this scene is a payoff for a later um, for a later scene in the episode. Any what are your thoughts?
1: Yes, this is this is a lot of setup. The only thing that I'll add to this is that um is that uh the wire plays a very long game and characters that you might think are gone um yes. can pop can pop back up and play and play a role. Yes, yeah, they can pop back up at any time. Anytime Like you do it
0: yeah that'll be of a current theme over the course of this series, of this series of fact that you'll see a factor from season one that might not see them season three and, and what have you. So that's that's uh, one thousand percent right uh Nathan i.e Nathan Mcnulty. um she tells me, Ali Nathan, of course, who had cross-examined McNulty, not McNulty, cross-examined Omar, she tells him about the case and about how well Omar did. At first, you know, McNulty was like, it was that bad, but then she he says, you know, she tells him, go look at, you know, look at Levy. Levy is clearly frustrated slamming his briefcase and she um, lets, and, you know, lets
2: McNulty, know, and that lets McNulty know how well Omar did uh, with the testimony. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, this, 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 uh, again, illustrates all this. This is all about the legal system. This is all about how things happen. Um, and, uh, it's masked in, uh, joy that they beat Levy, but it's like the entire situation is shady, but it is part of the game. To to Omar's point, it's just, it's absolutely part of the game. And so, um, yes, they beat Levy, but they beat Levy in the most Levy way manner.
0: Yes. So you have uh, Nick and Sergey. Um, Nick is in the car. Sergey has about two or three guys with him. Uh, They get out, they go out, they go out to the east side where Cheese is at. What cheese is with a couple of his peoples, they force cheese by force uh, pulling guns on them force cheese to pay for the car that Ziggy uh, that Ziggy burnt up and we find and we will later find out who cheese works works for, which will be an important reveal in terms of that connection with with the uh, with the Greeks. but Nick Nick sees how how Sergey. And the uh, Greeks do business um, firsthand, as again they, you know, you, you know, if you were Nick before this scene, you would think that cheese, uh, you might be intimidated by cheese, but he finds out that these guys are even are are stronger and more uh, are more um, are more villainous. If that's if that's a word, than even than, than even cheese is um, it shows the power it shows how much power and pool that they have. In terms of how they deal with this particular uh situation. Uh, what were your thoughts?
1: Yes, this is this is um the wires been in this season's been building up towards like this point right now. Um up until this point in time, we we're not we it hasn't been it hasn't been made clear just how um in just how just how the Greeks operate, like what what is their role, how much. Right now we're just talking about like the Port Authority, but it's building with, um, with Nick looking at the chemicals, uh, which, will, which will pay off in this episode, um, with the kind of muscle and the things that they carry. And it's juxtaposed by what would be a very tough street crew. And we see that the muscle that they have is more muscle than than that 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 very tough street crew. So that starts to give us kind of an idea of um, who we're dealing with in the Greeks.
0: Yeah, Cheryl and Kima. Um, of course, Cheryl is upset that Kima is back in the game and and going out to see the strippers. Uh, Kima tries to explain to her that part that you know this is a part of her job, not going out there to look at girls. But, you know, Cheryl uh, you know Cheryl is not trying to try hear any of this. Um, Cheryl brings up broken promises. She brings up the fact that she feels like she never had a real say in Kima deciding to go back into police work. And again, this again this will be a scene that will play out, not only, of course, throughout this. Well, this scene, to me, will play out over the course of, I would say, even next season as well, as far as how the disintegration of their uh, respective relationship, Cheryl, by the way, decides to go with her to uh, to the strip club. Uh, what were your thoughts?
1: Yeah, I could I th- I couldn't agree more. This this is this is about uh, Kima and Cheryl's relationship, um, and there's there'll be more to be uh, uncovered around around that. Um, this is also. I should. Uh, we should. We should acknowledge that. This also is part of the investigation. Investigation strategy, and this is showing how uh, intricate the unit can get, and how detailed oriented that they can get. Daniels laid out the plan, and these are all parts of the plan. Now, with that being said. There's also uh, very, very, uh, uh, emo- very emotional elements to all these scenes. And this is an emotional element to the, to the scene. Even though this is part of the investigation, we know, um, uh, what's Kima's partner name? Cheryl? Cheryl? Cheryl, yeah. We, we know that Cheryl um, is not excited that Kima is back in the game.
0: So you have Frank and the Checkers at a union meeting uh, discussing the grain pier and the canal. Um, he discusses the fact that the canal is probably going to be is going to is not going to happen immediately. That they're going to have to continue to fight for that. Um, he also discusses how much money that discusses that they what in terms of the money and resources that they're putting into trying to get the grain pier uh and by the way we know that the grain pier because we saw that we saw we were inside andy uh, office we know that he's turned the grain pier into condos um so frank is still sold on this idea in his head that you know kind of similar to mcnulty's some something that's not going to happen but he's still dead set on it dead set on it think to try to convince them and maybe convince himself that is going to that is going to happen. Um, Nat, Nat, the guy at the end, checks Frank when they ask him about where he got, got the money from. He says some, some timely donations, um, and then they go about their business. Uh, Nat, the head dude, checks Frank. Wait, waits until everybody leaves and, and tells Frank, you know, you better watch your ass because we know he knows that that's a bunch of bullshit in terms of getting the money from some timely donations. And then he, um, he, uh, he walks out as well. Um, what were your thoughts on, on this scene and and that, um, him lying to, uh, the checkers?
1: Yeah. I mean, like he, so, so again, like, you know, I, I keep bringing up the, uh, the Breaking Bad, uh, Walter White. And so that, that's, that's one of those things we call foreshadowing, right? Um, he's, we're we're they're foreshadowing what's 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 going on with Frank and um the 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 big part of that is exactly what you said, and when you juxtapose it with what we were talking about in terms of the courtroom is um everybody knows they don't have the money, so where is Frank getting the money from? And so. Um it is our first kind of like acknowledgement that uh the it's our first acknowledgement that um that this is not the best path for Frank to be on. Um and that uh as slick as he thinks he's being, he's not that slick.
0: Yeah, Daniels Russell bunk and freeman are looking at uh, looking at the computer to see which cans are being lost by kabaka they realize that there are there is a, a a pattern of missing cans that's connected to frank's number two man or one of his close friends in uh in terms of uh, which being horse face so um their idea uh, you know their brains uh, the wheels begin to spin for them on in terms of what what to do uh, next um, in terms of the computer. They have not in terms of what to do with the, with the computer, but again, they, they, they find a they look and find a pattern of cans that were being lost uh, by sabaka connected to horse face. Um, again, this is, um, you have uh, BD, again, B. Russell puts her, you know, puts her two cent into it as far as, and she's morphing into, um, i into working a, uh, a detective, um, yeah, they tell Daniels and they they tell Daniels that, you know, we have a hundreds of, it's a pattern of missing cans. And that, this is not about horse face, this, that's in the later scenes, I got that confused. But they tell Daniels that there's a pattern of missing cans from hundreds of ships. Daniels then looks, you know, like, damn, we have to even go, he has to look on his face like, damn, we're gonna even dig deeper in terms of this case. Um, that's, so that's that particular scene when they were describing um, when they were talking about the missing cans. Uh, what were your thoughts?
1: So last week I was uh, very um, definitive that it was a dead end, the cans, right, um, or or that that section of was a dead end, which is, which was true. But I knew all this was coming up, and so. Um, this is part of the investigation process. This is this is one of the big reasons why I love The Wire. Um, this is part of the investigation process where where they were initially going was a dead end. They got the information. That's when we were going back with uh, with what she got about from what's his name House, Haas.
0: Come on, Horseman.
1: No, 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 no. Big guy from last week. Him and Ziggy are always beefing. Oh, Maui, Maui. Now. Maui, yeah, they, uh, where'd I get yeah, uh, Maui, um, be, because that information that he gave her was crucial, um, and so, uh, and so, even though it didn't turn out the way that they wanted it in that moment, they're now going back to the drawing board with the piece of information that they got that they didn't have to now start to extrapolate the information that it's going to be that where it's going to be, even right now, Bunk. Freeman, B.D. Russell have no clue where this is going to go. They just know that they're going to now take this and then start teasing out all the different possibilities of it, which is what a good investigator does.
0: see in my president Cheryl, going to the strip club. Uh, Cheryl teaches press about how nervous he looks, he is, how nervous he is going to the club, um, questions whether or not he's ever been in a strip club. He doesn't. Prez <laughs> doesn't want to look at the girls at all. his he, head forward, while you have Kima just pretend flirting. Uh, at one of the strippers, I'm uh, just mess. Just trying to tease. Just mess, trying to mess with Cheryl. Um, they talk. They talk. They talk to one of the friends that has been. That has been. Um, that Chardine knew. Chardine uh, told the girl. You know, told this girl that they that they were coming to ask questions. She basically, she's one of the veterans there. She asks, she tells them how these girls are being brought into the club, how they're being monitored by the muscle. Uh, these girls basically are like, are prisoners. They're not, you know, they, they have basically security around them all the time. And they also, they also are hurting the business as far as other girls, other, from the local girls, except her, she says, because she has, she, she, she clearly has some established clientele and she's been in a while, but, um, Saying that a lot of girls around the club are getting jealous of these girls taking their business. And she um, basically gives a number of rules that if a girl gets too close to a John, they, she gets shipped off. If one of the girls shot to run away, she got tasered. So they clearly get a sense of of, of the Greeks running a tight ship when it comes to when it comes to these girls and how 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 much under control they are um they are under the watch of, of of the muscle um that's around them um what are your thoughts on on this? Thing?
1: Yes. So everything you said accurate. Um and then I'll add on um this is this again like this is this is showing um Daniel's plan coming to fruition and also showing the investigative prowess of of this team um as we stated last week um the wire is showing another side like not just uh street drug investigation but that this is a this is an investigative unit so this is showing the intelligence of Daniels and the intelligence of his team and how they are going how they can uh juggle a lot of different things at at one time and so while um, Daniels has said that he didn't want to touch the murder investigation. All this is all this is eating around the edges of that. So he's he's managing two things at once. One just trying to, not just trying, he is um, following, he's put in a plan for his team to follow the threads that they have and he is um, he is pulling gently on the thread of the, tw- the the murder, the the girls in the can. No
0: question about it. Uh, then we go to D'Angelo, who's
1: in his uh, cell,
0: which was a, by the way, which is a nice cell. was a nice, very nice prison cell with a toilet. Um, he's looking at his son's picture and he then proceeds to flush drugs, flush some drugs down the toilet. Uh, of course, we'll see plenty of D'Angelo later on in this uh, in this episode. Um, any quick thoughts on that? Which was mainly just you know set up in terms of where his head is at.
1: Yes, but um, this is this is you're right. It's set up for for where his head is at. Um, yeah, yeah. We'll leave it right there because we we'll get in we'll get into it.
0: You have Freeman and Russell looking at the computers and also looking at paperwork again. Very quick scene, but uh, with a lot of, with certainly a lot of setup on what's going to transpire over the course of this episode. Um, Kima and Cheryl. So Kima takes Cheryl. They they left the strip club. Kima shows Cheryl shows and describes how the girls died in the can. She shows her the can. Um, tries to again. I guess I'm, I'm assuming she's trying to convince her. This is why I had to. Uh, this is why I needed to work. Uh, this case, Cheryl, you know, still didn't look convinced. I mean, Cheryl had this little, this blank look on her face. It's not like she was like, she didn't, Cheryl didn't say anything. Um, but Kima is describing, you know, telling her, you know, these girls died in that can and suffered and what have you. But uh, Cheryl's had this blank look on, his face, look on her face as if, as if she still wasn't convinced that she's, that Kima should be out there doing this investigation. What were your thoughts?
1: Yeah, this is more about uh, about the dynamic of um, where Kima is at right now. Um, she's in her happy space. And her happy space is Cheryl's unhappy, very unhappy space. (laughs) Um, And so uh, I think like we talked about like how this will be a dynamic that will play out over the rest of the season and into next season. Um, The reason that this dynamic plays out like that is because all of this is showing how inevitable it is that Kima or how much Kima loves this work, and how that is not going to connect her and Cheryl.
0: We yeah, have Phelan, Levy, and Bird. Phelan, uh Bird, and Bird gets sentenced to life. Um, Levy tries to ask for you know tries to ask for um some some bail, and he just basically gets rebuffed by Phelan. Phelan's like, "You gotta be kidding me." Um, he jokes with, he, he kind of taunts. Uh, is saying, "Ask him, are you Jesus Christ?" And birds, you know, Bird just has no answer for that. You know, says, "Excuse me," and then he says, "Yeah, you're not." So then he, you know, he he, he gets convicted uh, of the murder and going to be and gets sentenced to life. Uh, we then see Nathan give Omar a get out jail free card up into up into aggravators. So hey, don't forget about that. That will play that will play a role down the line. So just put that, file that away, uh, that get out of free card that Nathan gives Omar. Of course, Bird yells at Omar coming out the court. Omar taunts Bird. Um, then we, uh, then McNulty asked Bird if he really saw, um, not asked Bird, McNulty asked Omar if he really saw Bird shoot Gant and Omar looks at McNulty at, and says to McNulty, what do you think? Um, and
2: that's how that scene ends. Uh what were your thoughts? Set up scene, yeah, yeah, yes yeah, it's, it's definitely lot. It's you know
0: with that oh that get out of jail free card to me is the is probably the key to that scene. When you think about it uh, moving forward, but you no know, we'll 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 talk about that over yeah, yeah we won't talk about that anytime soon, but that yeah. No. No, Yeah, set up. Set up, just remember that. Wire
1: plays a deep game.
0: Yes, yes. D'Angelo and his book club. uh, So they're in prison, they're in the prison library discussing the Great Gatsby. Um, There's about six, seven uh, inmates. And D'Angelo immediately has a connection with the main character. Um basically saying that it doesn't matter how you portray yourself now, your past will basically your past you can't run away from your past and it will always come it will always catch up with you. Uh and he says the epigraph, don't matter if some if some fools say he's different. We also see the prison, the teacher in there is Richard Price. If you know Richard Price is one of the writers of The Wire who started writing for the wire in season three, he also wrote Clockers that was made into a movie, movie by Spike Lee. Very popular novelist, um, to say the least. Um, you were a journalist, lit major, um, and I'm sure you read The Great Gatsby. Yep. Um, what What were your thoughts in terms of that connection with D'Angelo and
1: uh, the... Yeah, yeah, you yeah, just set me up. This is gonna be for a second. Um, so, uh, I, this spoke to my heart. I couldn't love this scene any more than anything in The Wire. Um, the, uh, it, is, it is essentially summing up D'Angelo's character while simultaneously summing up pretty much every character in The Wire, every character you see and identify at some type of torment. Right? Like it sets up Avon, it sets up Stringer, it sets up uh, uh, um, McNulty, it sets up um, Freeman, it sets up uh, Presbeluski, it sets up Ziggy, it sets up Sabaka, it sets up on and on and on and on and on. And essentially, what he's saying is that uh, pretty much him and Omar are just kind of like playing ping pong with this idea this entire episode is that. you are who you are. And no matter what stories you make up, it doesn't matter because what matters is the actions that you carry and the actions that you do. That's what that's what happens with people. And so in his point with the great Gatsby, it's all about how we put on these facades, how these characters put on facades. And the facades are supposed to Represent who we are. If we bring it into today's culture, it's about uh, Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, da da. You put on your best self in front of, you put on all these glossy fronts in front of people, but that has nothing to do with what's going on inside of you. Um, and essentially, what he's saying in that is that um, that he can no longer not be. Who he is. When he was, if I connect it back to the last season, when he was about to take that deal from the police, he just said, I want to get out of here, be anybody else, do anything else. And that was essentially the deal that he was going to, that he was going to take. Right now he's at the realization of that. If I am going to do this for any amount of time, I can't hold on to this hope and this dream that. I'll get out of here and go back into the game. I have to be who I am. I have to stand on my own two feet. Um, and uh, that, that is essentially where, where he ends. That's essentially the complete arc of his character. Um, other characters have to complete that journey. McNulty's will take a little bit of time. Freeman's will take a little bit of time. We'll see Sabaka over the course of this season. We'll see Ziggy over the course of this season. Um, But this is, he's he's essentially completed his arc of his character. When we first met D'Angelo, he was somebody else. He was pretending to be something. And right now, in this desolate space, in this room full of criminals, in the library, he's actually found who he is. So, Even though we'll get to what happens at the end, he's actually completed a fantastic character arc that has him in full acknowledgement of who he is. Stringer's not there right now. Avon's not there. McNulty's not there, just to name some big ones. And so he's actually in a much better place than them, regardless of what happens. He's at peace with with who he is. Now, to the overall structure of The Wire, what What he is commentating on is the falsehood of everything. And that links back to what we were talking about in terms of this game that everybody is playing. Um, Nobody is who they are. So we identified Omar as having a ton more of intelligence and a ton more of opportunity that was there but because of the world, he could not go that route, or was not able to go that route. Sabaka. We talked at nauseum about who he is presenting himself to be and who he actually is. Um, we identified it with Levy, and we identified it with the entire legal system. And so, essentially, um, what they are saying is that this is. A facade. Everybody's putting on a mask. This entire thing is a mask. And the only way to unmask yourself is to be honest with who you are. And part of being honest with who you are is acknowledging where you came from. So many characters in this show. I would argue that when we talk about Herc, I would argue when we talk about Daniels. I would argue when we talk about a lot of other characters, um, just in this episode, are giving you flickers of um, their imagined selves. And in order to fully realize yourself, you have to be honest with who you are. And the characters who are honest with who they are and are rooted in that, no matter how hard the outcome happens, are the ones who will ultimately win even if the outcome looks very painful and so this is one of those thesis statements thesis arguments well thesis statement and argument for the entire show it is a brilliant scene it is fantastically acted it is beautifully written this is um uh this is where it is essentially a novel there are two scenes where i can think of in the entire um uh uh episodic run of the wire where when i was watching it it is like i was reading a um a very uh i mean like i don't want to use the word shakespearean just because i'm just not in that mode right now but uh uh a tragedy um uh also that gets us back to the greek of omar area anyway um so many connections right now um but but this is where it plays like an absolute tragedy um and when they nail it oh my god they nail it and they nailed it in this scene
0: yeah so i've never read the the Greek gasp i I didn't have any seen the movie um but what I will what I came away from this is I think he I clearly he's talking about, you know, he's connecting himself with the with the character, but he also I think has gotten to a point to where he feels that this being in jail is where he belongs and what he deserves based on some of the things that he has been a part of with the Barksdales, based on some of the things that he has done. Um, even though we don't view him as a pure killer he's done some bad things when he's with the barks at the behest of the Barksdales. so i think that he is accepting of the fact that of doing of actually doing the 20 years so i that's what i took away that's why i took it from took away from it um to add on to what just you, what you just said uh, we have bunk freeman russell um this is tommy bunk was going they're, they're looking at the uh yeah freeman looking at the computers russell looking through some paperwork and bunk is throwing a tennis ball <laughs> It's like a like a child continuously throwing a, te- a, pen, a tennis ball up to the point to where he hits freeman and you know he says my bad and then the scene ends um this will be a setup for another scene, uh, for another scene. Any thoughts on this quick scene?
1: Yeah, big time thoughts. Um, th- again, what The wires doing now is hiding comedy or hiding a big uh, um, development behind the veneer of comedy. What's Freeman doing this entire time? That bunks bouncing that ball?
0: Oh, Freeman's looking at the, uh, the computer for paper. Why ball. is
1: he looking at the computer?
0: He's probably making that connection with uh, yeah. the Sabacas.
1: What does Freeman do?
0: Oh, he investigates. That's yeah. he's a pure.
1: Well, Freeman's in the process of investigating, as we know. <sighs> I don't want to uh, I don't want to give too much away. because um, I'm trying to I'm trying to think if that happens next episode where, where he talks about what what he's doing in this time. So Bunk effectively is bored right now. Freeman's not bored because he's in the nitty gritty beginnings of the investigation process that's going to bear out fruit. And so, yeah, it's funny that Bunk is bouncing that ball, but Bunk right now is what it's meant to show is that Bunk isn't seeing value at just staring at a computer screen. Freeman's seeing a lot of value at uh, staring at that computer screen. And by staring at that computer screen and doing what he does, it's going to be a major, major, major fruit. And so, yeah, it's funny, but there's a lot in that scene.
0: Yeah, Bunk, so to that point, Bulk, they know as a whole that they, they, as a as a detail, for the most part, that they're going to have to dig deeper to, to go further in this investigation. Bulk is trying to avoid that. Nope. You know, Bulk is avoiding that right now, at this point. He's bored. He's bored, right.
2: Yeah, he's bored. but
1: He, he, can't, he can't see what Freeman sees. Okay, you just can't see it that's not that's not how bunk investigates. He's murder police. yes, Freeman investigates differently as we will find out, and as we've already seen, but this will be this season is the one that really brings that out. How Freeman looks at things and how he investigates, but him and Preewski have already shown it in last season is that. Freeman can, for, they both have a nose for the trail, paper trail or any other trail um, that is out there. And so this is the beginning parts of it. Left to their own devices, and this is why I was saying last week was a little bit of a dead end. Um, when Sabaka tells them that, left to their, when Sabaka tells Bunk and B.D. Russell that, hey, I did the computer system and da-da-da, but kind of rose his eyes like, Ugh. That, and that is a dead end effectively for them. If they didn't have this investigative unit, that would have been enough to stonewall the investigation, the traditional investigation. Just like last year, with the drugs and with the street, they don't know that this unit exists. No one else knows the collection of intellect that is there and how they're going to use this. And so um, because Freeman's there and because he's willing to dig in the way, he's going to create fresh leads.
0: Yeah, no. He was, that, that was his like similar to Kima, being her wheelhouse. This is Freeman's uh, wheelhouse uh, with this paper trail and digging deep in terms of investigation. Um, and you see again, B. Russell is learning, the star is learning from Freeman, so she's into the paperwork as well even though she, you know, at the beginning of this, was, you know, was not was not a detective.
1: She's also there like, uh, this is, we, we're we not at the point where Daniels came up. No, no, we're not there. I'll speak more about it. No, not not sure. yeah.
0: So, we have Buck, no, we have McNulty and his partner off the boat. He tells his partner, McNulty is staring at a picture, staring at the picture of the girl Um. Then he tells his partner that he is retiring. Um, quick scene, but any thoughts on this scene? Set up. Yep. Nick, Sergey, Prop Joe. Um, they go to Nick and Sergey go to Prop Joe's shop, which of course is is uh, you know, he's his shop where he fixes clock is, is a front, of course, a drug front. Where he fixes clocks and, 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 and things like that. says, you know, John's you know, shop. Um, he forces Cheese uh, to pay out, he pays out Nick $2,400. Um, and we get, to, we make the connection that not only Cheese works for Prop Joe, but the Greek and the Greeks and Prop Joe have a relationship that will be vital
2: to the show uh, moving forward. Um, what were your thoughts on this scene?
1: First of all, just, just a very cool scene. Just a very cool scene. Every time I see it, I'm just like, this is a very cool scene. Um, uh, there's a lot of flexing that's going on, on all sides, but also uh, a very well-understood business relationship. A lot of respect. That's that's also in there. Um, wait, am I talking about the wrong scene? No, no, you good? If I am, I'm talking no, about the good. right scene, right? Okay,
0: no, you good? Okay,
1: okay, <laughs> you got me word. Um, so uh, so um, just 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 those two points. This is now the scene where it's kind of really unveiled how the Greeks are moving in this in this world, and like the like what what is happening. We know what uh prop joe is talking about with that other thing um yes. but at the at that point in time even if you don't know you know it's something bigger because it's like this thing he's just like no 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 hold on we'll talk business later now this thing so um and we 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 know prop joe's position the uh the basketball game with Um, Avon um, uh, uh, in season one. So we can start to kind of connect all these dots and these pieces about where what and what the Greeks do and what is actually their position in this world. Um, And then you tie it in to their connection with the docks and the police are investigating the docks. Now you can start to really kind of see where things are, where things are headed, how interconnected all of this all of this is. Um yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool scene. Very cool
0: scene. Yeah. And you see, you know, you see why Prop Joe is a number one, is a kingpin knowing, understanding the big picture. Because Ziggy fucked up the package. Um, and he says I have to pay for this. So but once Sergey so he does not he, he'll pay out he'll pay out the 2400 dollars because she's she's gonna pay him but he's not going to do anything to jeopardize the relationship with the creeps. Like he's not, it's not like, it's, like he's not going to do that, even if he has a point in terms of how it went down and everything with Ziggy fucking up the package at the beginning and, and, and what have you. Um, because because she, he realizes Cheese fucked up as well in terms of doubling the amount, uh, trying to extort, extort, extort um, Ziggy by doubling the amount of the uh, of the car and and burning the car as well. He did not have to burn the car. So Pop Joe, you know, says, okay, he'll have to pay me back. We both are we both have some similarities in dealing with some fucked up family. You and your cousin, me and some some of my folks who I can who, you know, he jokes that I can't, it's not like I can could shoot him at during Thanksgiving dinner. Um, he says, you know, family's family. Uh so you know gives you a little bit of more insight on how Prop Joe does business and how forward thinking that he is. He's all about the business. He's not gonna fuck up, he's not petty at all. He's not. Um so like to your point, it was it was a uh, it was a dope scene to watch. Uh those two uh those two interact. Um Mcnulty and Doc Frazier. So McNulty has has given up on looking for the girl. Doc Fraser says you did all, basically you did all you could. She's gonna become a cadaver, but well, she is a cadaver. She's gonna become, uh, you know, going to donate for, you know, uh, body parts and what have you, so she's gonna get sent away to the, to, not to the anatomy board. That's what I want to say. She's gonna get sent away to the anatomy board and you see, uh, you know, Fraser basically says, you know, it's a wrap on this from that standpoint um, and McNulty concedes that Conceives that by, um, I think I think did he, did he tear up the picture? I don't think he tore up the picture in the scene. Yeah, he folded, he folded. He folded the picture up and put it in his pocket. Uh, what were your thoughts?
1: Uh, this now concludes McNulty's busy. So, giving him something else to do, he's going to now come into the story, the main story. This is a, it. This concludes his side quest. You know no. what I thought? About yeah, I know this. she I know she did. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it concludes it. It ends it. So the plot device is over. Oh, yeah. now we can get out. Now we need to get McNulty back into the main story.
0: Yeah. Uh D'Angelo yeah. and Brianna meeting uh, in the prison. The powerful scene. Ah, uh, Brianna is trying to convince D'Angelo to work with Avon so he can get much, so he can get uh, years taken off his sentence. Um, he basically rebuffs that and says he needs to go his own way. He tells her a childhood story where he was getting beat up by some twins, and she refused to let him inside and made basically made him fight him, even though that you know these 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 twins were basically bullying him every day and uh, she would not let him in the house until he fought back. Um, He continuously tells her he needs to go his own way and stand up for himself. He um, says, tell Avon Stringer, Donette to leave him be. Um, You see, uh, then we see some foreshadowing. We, another inmate look at D'Angelo during that scene, it was quick, but it was, you know, you could tell you know, you, it was, it wasn't quick enough to where you could, it was noticeable. Uh, so remember that, but um, this is goodbye. Um, this is goodbye from a standpoint that, not to say that, you no, know, he didn't know he was going to die. She didn't know he was going to die, but this is goodbye from a standpoint of Brianna Boxtel knows that they will never be a family again as they, as they once were in terms of the Barksdales. And I think that obviously she wants him out of prison because he's her son. But she she realizes that, you know, the it's a rap in terms of the Barksdales being a family uh, as a whole. Um powerful scene. They both all all the scenes I think that she's in, she destroys, even especially with him. Um, what are your
2: thoughts?
1: I can't talk about the till we get to the end.
2: Okay. Okay. Bunk um, and Freeman,
0: this time you have Bunk sitting down, and Freeman is throwing a tennis ball to annoy Bunk, and he hits Bunk. He hits Bunk with a tennis ball. Bunk gets up and walks away and, and says, I, you know, fuck this, I'm going to get a drink. To your point, Bunk was not, was not about doing that tedious police work. Uh, he, did not, he really didn't need Freeman to hit him with a tennis ball for him to get a drink, to be honest. Freeman, so,
1: get, Freeman was getting his get back on him. Yeah, that was his get back. Uh, any thoughts on this? Um, it, it 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 same thing of what we said about the other scene. Frank, six, six, uh, six, yeah. yes.
0: Frank at the bar with the checkers. Uh, the checkers are telling funny, st- telling old funny stories about one of the old check about one of the old checkers. Um, you see Nick come in. Um, he gives. Nick gives Ziggy the money that he got for the car. And even despite that, Ziggy still complains about the, the amount, which you know it's really <laughs> typical Ziggy. Uh, then Ziggy, Frank buys a uh drink for the for the bar, for all for the, for the checkers at the bar. Ziggy sees this. He pulls out a hundred dollar bill and buys a and, and and buys a and buys a drink for the bar. Then he pulls out another hundred dollar bill and burns it. Right, right in front of everybody uh, on the bar top. Uh, what were your thoughts, Ziggy? Ziggy, your guy. Yep. Yep. <laughs> not to be outdone by out the pops. This
1: is this is gonna set. This is this is gonna set <laughs> yes. up the yes. scene him and him and his father have.
0: Yup, yup.
1: anyways, we'll get there. Okay. Which is very closely related to D'Angelo and his mom scene.
0: Absolutely. Scene. Um, Russell and Freeman. Um, they're looking at the computers. Uh, they count how many cans that hor- that Horseface has oversaw. Fre- um, that, that has overseen. Freeman, you know, tells Russell. Uh, Russell asks about Bunk, and Freeman tells Russell that Bunk is right now is getting drunk. So. Some of the payoff from the investigation that Russell that Freeman was doing as far as studying and digging deeper into the case is starting to uh, pay off in terms of uh, seeing how many cans that horseface moved that that they, how many cans were moved that horseface face overs- oversaw. And if anybody doesn't remember horse face, of course, he's the guy that stole the surveillance van from Valche, if you don't remember, because you know we know it's a lot of characters. Uh, what were your thoughts? Set up. Yeah, McNulty and Bunk, uh, McNulty and Bunk are both getting drunk, Bunk especially is is getting lit. Um, They start discussing the case, discussing the case. Bunk pulls out his gun, pulls out a gun, (laughs) pulls out his gun, you know, starts starts fake shooting. Um, McNulty tells Bunk that he and Elena are getting back together. So, according to McNulty, of course, Elena has nothing. Elena, we know, is not down for this. So she tells him that we getting, He he tells her. Um, he tells Bunk that he and Elena are uh, getting back together, and he also told. He told him that he was. Um, that he was retiring too. I think he said that in this scene, scene as well, but he definitely told her that. Uh, told him that he was uh, getting back together with. Um, with Elena. What are your thoughts on on this scene?
1: So going back to um, D'Angelo's point, um, McNulty is not. McNulty's saying things he wants to be true, not acknowledging the reality of the situation. Um, And so he's he's full on in his mask.
2: Ziggy and Frank. Um, So Frank uh,
0: and Ziggy walk out the bar. Uh, Frank says, let's take a walk after watching, after seeing Ziggy, after after watching Ziggy burn the $100 bill in front of everybody. um, He asks Ziggy where he got the money from. Um, Ziggy doesn't, you know, doesn't tell him exactly. Uh, Ziggy proceeds to say, also proceeds to say, if you want to hit me, go ahead. He talks to Ziggy about the bruises that that are on his face that came from cheese. So Ziggy says I fell down. He says Frank says how many times? Uh, and then they get into some family shit where Ziggy, what Frank is regretful in terms of basically saying he should have listened to Ziggy's mom and and had Ziggy put and, told, and had Ziggy go to community college. Uh, Ziggy says you know don't worry about it. And that's, don't worry about it. And then Ziggy starts to get into starting to get into some of the stuff that he grew up on listening to old doc stories and also family, you know, family arguments and, and what have you give this, this scene gave you some clear insight to what the dynamic of their relationship is and, and why Ziggy is the way he is. Also the thing that stood out to me as they're walking and talking is that the clear disconnect between a father between a father and son like you could tell that these guys don't really communicate a lot that they don't really know each other i mean there's a clear disconnect it didn't even sound like a father and son were having a conversation to be honest with you like you know um so that to me jumped out of how just you know how removed they are from each other's lives um, from that standpoint. What were your thoughts?
1: You can't talk about this scene without talking about the D'Angelo and his mom scene. Both of them have the same exact tone and have the same exact kind of uh, outcome. Um, this was potentially a chance for Sabaka to acknowledge his son and where he was. And he couldn't, he couldn't get over what he was about and what was happening with him. Same with uh, D'Angelo's mom. That's what D'Angelo's story was all about. What he's saying to his mom in that prison jail cell is that I needed you. I needed you to be a mom, not a pit boss, not the... You know, consigliere or whatever of this family. I needed you to be my mom, and that's what Ziggy's saying to his dad. Or that's what Um Sabaka is is. Uh, that's that's what Ziggy's that's what Ziggy's saying underneath everything that is going on. He need he needs a dad, not uh, Sabaka, king of the docks or whatever, or king of the local, president of local. He needs a father right now, somebody who cares. Not somebody's going to talk about, like, the regrets of what happened in the past, but somebody's going to look at Ziggy and um, look at look look at Ziggy for what he is, going back to D'Angelo's point, and acknowledge who he is, acknowledge where they were, and then deal with the reality of the situation. Not wish about, I wish I would have talked to your mother about community college or whatever he wants to bring up at this point in time. Um, and so... Um, both of those scenes are, are heart wrenching and, and gut wrenching um, because uh, one will see the definitive outcome at the end of this one. And then the other will see the definitive outcome at the end of the season. Um, the, so what I was alluding to when I was talking to talking about um, uh, the of, like different plays is um, what Ziggy represents, what D'Angelo represents some very tragic fig- figures and that, plays into what the Greeks and the Romans, Shakespearean like all that stuff that's what they like to play out and that's what good that's what that's what uh, 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 I was gonna say good writers that's what um, Western writers uh, 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 writers who who uh, who grew up and i'm I'm the same way because I, I came through that exact same educational system that really propped up that type and that style of of storytelling and so you can tell there's a lot of love for these characters because they give them these moments to kind of um, expound on the the tragedy of each character. Like I said, Ziggy, they made it as easy as, the writers made it as easy, writers, directors, creators creators made it as easy as pie and an actor as well made it as easy as pie to look at Ziggy and say, oh, there's the self-destructive, you know, he's just going to do wild Ziggy stuff. But right here, they're telling you, they're giving you the idea of essentially what, again, D'Angelo laid out, that um, Ziggy has, there's no other path for him because of where he came from. And that's the tragedy of it all. There's no other path for D'Angelo because of where he came from. And that's the tragedy of it all. No
0: question about it. Um, You have Daniels Russell. Bunk and Freeman, they are discussing the disappearing cans um, that were on horses' watch. Um, Freeman says that there is no paper trail and uh, that there is no paper trail. Dan- Bunk asked Daniels to combine investigations which again, in terms of taking up, in terms of eating the 14 murders which for the second time again, Daniels rebuffs and because and, and, he does not want to be responsible if the case doesn't get solved, of course. And um, Freeman, we see the payoff from the previous scenes. Freeman
2: decides that it's time to clone the computer and watch the docs in real time. What were your uh,
1: thoughts? Boom, that's it, that's the fruits. That's the fruits. That's the fruits. He is, beginning the process of showing how they're going to be able to essentially get the wire up on the computer this is the fruits of it that's why he was staring at the computer the entire time
0: you have uh avon and d'angelo uh are in the hallway going opposite directions which you know was uh, i think apropos um Avon calls D'Angelo's name. D'Angelo does not respond, but does turn around and look at him and just stares at him, gives him a look, basically, that says, I'm not fucking with you, that we're done. He gives him that look and walks away. So Avon calls his name twice. Again, no response from D'Angelo, just a look. And then Avon, then they both
2: proceed to walk away. Uh, What are your thoughts? Uh,
1: Can't talk about that until we get to the end.
0: McNulty and Elena. They're having dinner and she goes after him with insults um, on his cheating and about the job. Um, She says, I don't know where it comes from. but, you know, he says, you know, you have a right to be angry. Uh, he completely lies and says, I'm changing as far as not drinking as much and what have you. Just because he wasn't drinking at the dinner, she was trying to say, you know, she says, where's the Jameson? Where's the other liquor that you want me to drink? Says, um, he says, I'm not, you know, I'm calming down from it. Um, uh, she, again, he asked for another chance. Uh, in terms of getting, uh, in terms of getting back together, she says, she says, how about, you know, a fuck for the road? And, you know, and then, you know, we then, then of course they, they have, uh, of course they have sex. Uh, again, he, uh, and then we'll, this will we'll see how this concludes in regards to, because uh, they have one more scene together. But um, what were your thoughts with this exchange?
1: Uh, this is McNulty keeping on that mask that D'Angelo was that D'Angelo was talking about. None none of the actual stuff matters, like in terms of whatever was the outcome of of all of that. the The point is that McNulty is nowhere near what he's trying to present. He is, and of course, the person who knows him, uh, his his ex wife or or separated wife at this point in time. Um, sees right through whatever words that are coming out of his mouth because it's about your actions. You don't change just by saying you change. You actually show that you change. Um, and then on top of that, um, it wasn't insults that she was hurting on. She was telling him of past hurts, past traumas. Right. And that's where that anger was coming from. Right. And so, in order to get to the place that he wants to be, he has to. He would have to a acknowledge that he really hurt her, and that's not anything that McNulty's in a place to do at this point in time in the show.
0: Spiros, Nick, and Johnny Fifty. So Nick gets the uh, chemicals for it, to Spiros. Spiros offers to pay pay Nick in heroin. Um, then Ziggy Ziggy says, "Hey, if we." You know, if you do, if we accept this offer, we can triple, basically double, maybe even triple our profits. Nick decides to take half of the money in heroin and half in cash. And then Ziggy tries to again, tries to uh, again, try to get involved with the the, the deal making and the business aspect. And Nick basically tells him basically to fuck off. I got it. Uh, Johnny 50 wants no part, was no part of the the uh, heroin aspect of it. He walked, as soon as that conversation started, he immediately walks away from it, walks away from that. Um, he's not willing to go that far. But uh, you have, uh, again, Nick t- telling Ziggy, you know, I got it. You go, he said, what did he say? He told him to go watch cartoons. So, again, that, I want you to emphasize to the audience, pay attention to those, uh, to to Ziggy continuously getting disrespected because it it, it it adds up. So now, in Ziggy's mind, he probably thought he pro- proposed a good idea as far as you know, tripling the prices and, and things of that nature, giving Nick that idea. But Nick says, "You know what? You no, know what I got it. Don't need you from this stand- from that standpoint." Uh, what were your thoughts on the Spiros offer and, and Nick's uh, exchange with? Uh, yeah,
1: we we. T- I'm in a certain space with this because of the great gasping because of that scene with D'Angelo, and so I've I've said. Nick's trajectory in previous episodes of of like where like where he's going because of the desperate straits he's in and what choices that he proves and what uh uh uh, uh, uh what model that Frank Zabaka sets for all of that. But honestly, this is the, in this scene right here. This is more about what is going on with Ziggy. It's not about the insults. It honestly is not about the insults. This I can't go down that road because this episode laid it out like for real, laid it out. It's not about the insults, it's not about anything. It's about the mask. Ziggy's trying to be somebody he's not. And that's why I said, now I'm gonna get really deep. Like up to this point in time, I've allowed just kind of like, just Ziggy to be like da da da, but this is why I love this character. It's so tragic. And we got to like, no surface stuff. I'm off the surface stuff with Zig completely. Um, it, it, he, he's put on that mask. Because he can't go back to where he's from, because his father won't let him, he now needs to find his way in this in the world. He can't find his way in this world because he can't find he can't identify who he is. His father won't let him access that, and so he keeps putting on these different masks. And of course, none of these masks fit him. That's what we're seeing with Ziggy every single time. He's trying to be something. buys another drink like Frank does. tries to deal drugs like. White Mike, da 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 da, like everything. There'll be a line where he says in future episodes, well, I'll come back to this where he specifically says it to, to I think, I believe Nick. It might have been Frank, but I believe it's but I believe it's Nick. But um uh Ziggy is floundering at this point in time, and he's floundering because he doesn't have anybody that can support him. And the only way he can support himself is by pretending. And that's going to run out.
2: Absolutely. You um, get to the final scene
0: D'Angelo and the hitman, who, of course, is the cousin to the VC contact that's being hired uh, for this. Um, D'Angelo, <clears throat> D'Angelo, of course, is in charge of the books. He, he checks, uh, there's a book that has, that's been damaged. He tells the guy, um, tells one of the guys that you know, I'll separate some, uh, some tape or something in the back, uh, in one of the, the back book rooms. He goes in the back. The, the guy sees, you know, the hitter, the hitman sees him. Or one of the prisoners sees him, follows him inside the book room, pretends as if he wants needs some help with a book. And as D'Angelo has his back turned, he is strangled by the guy. The guy, of course, is much bigger than D'Angelo, physically overpowers him. Um and he sets it up to make it seem as if uh D'Angelo killed himself. And uh that is how the episode ends with the door being closed, with the with with the shot of the door that D'Angelo is uh behind. What are your thoughts? <laughs>
1: uh wow that's that's so many thoughts um all right let's let's try let's try to let's try to do this in a way that doesn't take an hour um so uh the actual what happens in the scene is not important um it is the like i said his arc was closed after that statement, everything else that happens just makes it more tragic. The final conversation with his mom and his eventual death. Um, but his, he closed his arc with, with that conversation. Um, this, honestly, is more about Stringer. This action right here is more about Stringer. Because Stringer makes a move that he knows Avon will be against. And if Avon was in the position where Avon thinks he is, then Stringer would never be able to make, that, make this move. And so this is about Stringer in a very um, tangible move for the audience announcing he's the top dog in the organization with, without question. This is this is the announcement that he's the top dog in the in the organization. Um when I when I yeah, yeah, and now I'll end it at that. That's good. So
0: yeah, um two things on this. Number one, uh D'Angelo goes out. There was a there was a line in uh the movie Panther. By uh, Huey P. Newton, one of the co-founders of the Black Panther Party. Good movie, by the way. Check it out if you get a chance to. It says, I'd rather, i rather die on my um, i rather die on my feet. I'd rather live on my, I'd rather die on my um, feet than live on my knees. D'Angelo goes out like that. He goes out dying on his feet. He is no longer beholden to the Barksdells, because he, you think about it, D'Angelo could have easily done, could have easily got the year shaved off and possibly, and probably asked asked Avon to be released from the cells completely. Could have did that. And as we will see in future episodes, Avon doesn't have a major problem with letting people go, let alone uh, his family member, let alone his family member. But D'Angelo, got to a point to where he was so, got to a point of of honesty and in the polar opposite, the polar opposite of McNulty, that he felt like, like, no, in order for me to be completely free, I gotta do this time. He stands up to the Barksdale's, he stands up to Stringer, stands up to everybody, even his own mother, stands up to everybody that's been telling him to do the wrong thing for years upon years upon years. Takes a lot of courage. And cause I and I say this because there were a number of people on the internet, wireheads who criticizing D'Angelo, saying yeah you should listen to Avon, have got the years taken off, um, and what have you. are like no 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 you you're missing if you say that then you're missing the point of his story arc and you're missing you're missing where he's at as a character. He is free, even in jail. He died free. Okay, so. From that standpoint, that you know, and again, brilliant performance probably overall. We know Larry gillard Gilliard was a beast in, in his season and a half with the, in the wire. As far as Stringer goes, and I've been going, man, I've been thinking about this a lot. Um with the um his killing of D'Angelo, it absolutely is a power move to your point. It is stripping off another layer of the Barksdales, even though D'Angelo is no longer connected to the drugs connected from that in terms of doing what he was doing in season one, he's still a Barksdale. So that's one less Barksdale. Okay. That's, that's one less Barksdale. That's, that's on the board now. Um, I think that's, I mean, it's easy. I mean, we know why Stringer did this. Not only for, for, for not only to show power, but also the fact that he, was fearful that D'Angelo um, would snitch on him. But I, I just wondered about the, fi- the standpoint. I, I wondered about the vetting process. It's not like, I, it's like he kept asking Stringer, not Stringer. He kept asking Avon over and over, what's up with D'Angelo? What's up with D'Angelo? Then he asked, he asked uh, Donnette, what's good with D'Angelo? So to me, it's not. I can't simply say he wanted to kill D'Angelo from the beginning. There was a vetting process out a vetting process of that of that decision um so I, I i thought about that and reason i and i want to post this question to you last episode when they he has conversation when when string was talking speaking to uh avon and avon said you know th- you know that boy gotta find his own way did avon did, did avon tip did, did, did Stringer misread that in terms of killing D'Angelo? Did he misread, Did he misread Avon's emotion and Avon's answer? Not saying that Avon gave the gave the hit to, to the answer. We know that, but does Stringer because Stringer's gonna have a Stringer's gonna have a habit of misreading misreading body language and misreading people over the course of this episode, over the course of this series. I'm just gonna let you know without spoilers. Stringer does not is not good. That's one thing that this is one of the reasons why he's not a good number one or a kingpin. Did he misread Avon in that scene last week?
1: What did we say about that scene last week, for real?
0: Oh, that Stringer had all the power.
1: What what was he doing? You said it.
0: Well, that he was what? I forgot what I said.
1: You forgot what you said? Okay. Well, um, he was reading Avon for weakness. That's what we said, and he saw that Avon was weak. Right. So
0: that answers your question right there. Yeah, no, I mean, this, um, no, to your point, yeah, this definitely was a power move for Stringer. Um, I get why Stringer did this. Um, this was, to me, I it, it was a power move. It also was a business move as well. Stringer's operating from a mindset of, of strictly business. D'Angelo, even though, even beyond the fact that, you know, D'Angelo can bring down the whole organization if he, if he were to snitch, D'Angelo is an asset that is
1: not, that has no value to Stringer's world at this point. And that's, that's the point. He has no value. This is a power move. Strictly, he did it because he could. And he did it to show that uh, it's, it's the same thing Brandon left for the, the street. He's doing it. It's unstated, but it's stated. It's unstated, but it's stated it's it's a it's a it's a power move. if Avon is who Avon is, does dAngelo get killed just in general like you like we see this Avon runs to prison, correct Avon can make these moves and this move and the prison yard stops when he walks across it if Avon is powerful, can anybody get to dAngelo? And the answer to that is no it's just no so what this says is, well, I mean, I, I, Avon's Avon's not proud. We're, we're not arguing this point. We're just not arguing this point. Um, what this says is is that um, Stringer's more powerful than Avon. He can kill D'Angelo, and Avon can't
2: do anything to stop him. It's just that simple. Yeah, but Avon does have power in the prison. I think it
0: was just a well-conceived plan. Like, I but that's I, what I'm
1: saying. If he had as much power, so who's more powerful? That's right. why I say it's strictly a power You're absolutely right. He does have power in the prison, and still, Stringer can do this.
0: Yeah, yeah. String- no. Stringer, is, no. Stringer is the guy at this point. There's no question. Yeah, no question about
2: it.
1: This, and, yeah. This is that announcement of it
0: that he is the guy at uh, at this point. Um, yeah, yeah, very uh I, you know you look back at the again the D'Angelo character, there was um he in the book, uh way down not way down the hole, that's the podcast, the book, um All the Pieces Matter by uh by Jonathan Abrams. Stringer, um D'Angelo was surprised by his death of the character, was surprised by his death on the show. Remember season one, he basically was a co-lead with along with McNulty, um, uh, and you can check it out. You might you know check it out. It's a very good book in on on terms of the tell backstories of the Wire. That's what it's filled with a bunch of backstories and character and and, and uh, flushing out of of, of characters of the characters in uh, on the on the show. But he uh, did not expect he did not see it coming as far as. Um, he was surprised by the fact that his uh, that his character was killed. Said basically, to paraphrase, he said it was something that hadn't been seen on television during that particular time, where you saw main characters, uh, or leading co-leading characters get killed on the show. Even though this even though this show was more of an ensemble cast, uh, string, uh, D'Angelo was still one of the starring. Um, was still one of the starring characters. And he was the first starring character to die on this show in terms of, if he was his first, he was, up until this point, he was the biggest star to get killed. Up until this, up until this point, we know what will happen later on in the seasons. But um again, he died, he died a free man. He died a free man. Uh You see Omar free being, being free to be who he was. And you saw McNulty, who is, not free is kind of trapped in his own, trapped in his own world of not, uh, you know, to your point, trapped in his own world, not willing to uh, call himself out for what he really is. So this episode was dictated by those uh, three um, characters. Um, MVP and uh, sharding award, my MVP for this episode was uh Diego.
1: Same, same, same. Yeah. I'll just announce it right right with you.
0: And my uh <laughs> best performance was
2: Omar. Same. Okay. Yep. Yep.
1: It is it, is yep. Part of me wanted to give Omar the MVP, but D'Angelo was no,
0: yeah, D'Angelo.
1: They crushed he crushed this episode. They I mean they gave they, this is a D'Angelo episode. I mean it just they gave him the episode and he crushed it. So there you can't you can't you can't nope. Omar will have his time. Trust us. He will oh, yeah. have his time. His time is coming, but this was D'Angelo. You could you couldn't, you couldn't you couldn't. Nope. Nope. I couldn't. I tried. Not even I tried. I debated in my head for a quick second. Now I was like, nah, D'Angelo's too. Too much, too much, too good in this episode. God give it to him. And it has nothing to do with the death. He was just really good in this episode.
2: Uh no, no, they they
0: both, no, he was he was tremendous. I mean, they both were tremendous in this episode, but yeah, D'Angelo, um, in every scene, um, even even the scenes where even the scene where he didn't say anything to Avon Um was tremendous, uh, was tremendous to say the least. Um very again, tremendous great episode, uh, a lot of moving pieces, and again, it, don't, it' only will get better from here as far as some of the payoffs in terms of the of the plot. Um stringer is the guy. He is the guy right now. He's definitely out unqu- unequivocally number one, um and we'll see the weight. We'll see how he's how he deals with the weight of that. Yep. Um, again, it was that. You know, the D'Angelo move was strictly a strictly a business move. Now, you can say you know a questionable business move by killing the nephew of your of your boss, um, and we'll we'll see how that plays out. But this was it was without question. It was no question that this was a a business related uh, business related move. And again, stripping off another layer of the Barksdale, of what the Barksdales were. Um, great episode any last thoughts
1: yes I'm going to let ahead. you live on that comment the, the um, but uh, the thing that you have to appreciate about The Wire is how long of a game they play right because they're sowing seeds right now for the end of season three Yes. So it, it it that that's my last thought. You just gotta appreciate it. You just yeah. gotta appreciate it. They, they are
0: constantly um they're constantly playing the long game. I they are co- they are constantly playing the long game. That's that's the brilliance. That is the brilliance of of the show. So definitely gotta appreciate that aspect of the show. That's gonna wrap it up for this edition of the wire remix uh season two, episode six. Uh, this will be up. Probably, I'll probably try to get this up before, before midnight. As always, thanks to Barbara Sat for joining the program.
1: All right, sir. Everyone stay safe, stay healthy, stay cool, and now stay dry.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, take it easy. Bro. Later. That's
0: going to wrap it up for this edition of The Real Deal Podcast. I will see you, well, tomorrow we we'll do a lot of nba a lot of nba a lot of major league baseball as well and of course next week with the wired with the wire episode seven
2: backwash i'm out
1: okay round two name something that's not boring
2: a laundry
0: Ooh, a book club computer solitaire huh
1: Ah, oh, sorry we were looking for chumba casino